The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed, 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 and welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're in the right place. We'll never let you down. The buzz today, faster than a speeding what? Okay, we're talking about the Internet of Things, and it is speeding along. IoT, no matter how you call it, what you call it, don't call it late for dinner. Think again. It is not new. It's here, and it's here to stay. What are we talking about? IoT technology. It's in our, I'm going to say your, because I'm talking to each of you, our listeners around the world. It's in your pocket. It's on your wrist. It's in front of your eyes. It may be already built into your clothes and your shoes. What? It could be installed in your house hospital bed if you have to go to a hospital. It may be helping to drive your car. It probably is. It's helping to manage your home, your office. It's keeping our trains and our airplanes safe. And it's not slowing down anytime soon. You may be new to the concept of IoT, Internet of Things. It may be one of those scratch your head. What? Sensors? Where? Who? Where's the data coming from? Why am I giving it to whom? And what's going to happen with it? Well, I have good news for you, maybe bad news. IoT is moving so fast, we're already in the third wave. Uh Uh-huh. It's just coming along like a speeding train. However... There are different interpretations of what that third wave is. We know it has to do with data. What's going to happen to all that data that's being collected? Where is it going? Who's going to analyze it? What are they going to do with it? What does it mean for your business? Because we're here on the business channel. So we have assembled a panel of three super experts. I'm giving them a new title. They're all super experts. We're going to talk about what's happening in the world of IoT. And by the way, if you're keeping track... This is episode number 13 in season two, and the great news is that Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio is coming back for season three starting in just a couple weeks. Thank you and shout out to one of our panelists today, the sponsor at SAP, Ira Burke. Thank you very much, Ira. So our panel today, well, they've all been on various Game Changers shows, and we are delighted to put them together for the first time. We're going to be speaking with Gray Scott, futurist, techno-philosopher, <clears throat> excuse me, founder and CEO of SeriousWonder.com. We're speaking with J.R. Fuller at HPE, that's HP Enterprises. He works on IoT solutions in the Edgeline Moonshot Business Unit. And as I mentioned, Ira Burke, Vice President of Digital Transformation Solutions. I think that's his title this week within SAP's HANA Global Center of Excellence. So now let me get started introducing our first speaker, Gray Scott, with the quote he sent me. Gray picks wonderful quotes. And today's quote is from Isaac Asimov, who lived from 1920 to 1992 an American author and professor of biochemistry at my alma, one of my alma maters, Boston University, best known for his works of science fiction 
and popular science books. Asimov was so prolific, he wrote or edited... Hey, those of you who think you want to write a book, get this. Isaac Asimov wrote or edited more than 500 books and an estimated 90,000 letters and postcards. His books have been published in nine of the ten major categories of the Dewey Decimal System. OMG, we'll stop there. And he wrote hundreds of short stories, including the science fiction Nightfall, which won the Science Fiction Writers of America Best Short Science Fiction Story of All Time in 1964. Wow, that was a lifetime ago. Here is the quote. The saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. Gray Scott, I know you are wise beyond your years. How fast or slowly are we gathering with wisdom? Welcome, Gray. How are you? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. Love the quote from Isaac Asimov. And interestingly enough, you and one of our other panelists picked the same exact quote independently within about an hour of each other, which tells me this is a very important quote. (laughs) So tell me, what part is most important to us? The saddest aspect of life, science gathering knowledge, society not gathering wisdom. Where are we, Gray? Well, I do think that what's happening is that technology is is moving faster than we can sort of cope with. And the main thing is that we're trying to figure out how to communicate. You know, as a futurist, my job is to communicate how technology is changing our lives now and how it's going to change our lives in the future. So the main thing that I'm concerned with right now is is getting people to understand that the Internet of Things is already in their lives. Mm -hmm. So if you look around your house, uh, either your your television or your refrigerator uh, or some of your appliances probably are already connected. Interesting. And connected means what to the layperson who's listening and to the business person who's listening, Greg? Connected where, what, how? Do we know about this? Have we given permission? Do we want this? Whose idea was it in the first place? How wise are we? Any or all of the above? (laughs) I'll tell you a a quick story. Uh, Recently, I purchased a new refrigerator. And when I purchased it, there were options to purchase smart versions, versions that are connected to the Internet. Mm-hmm. And I avoided those because they're a little bit more expensive. So I just I, I thought that I was getting just the regular refrigerator, and uh, I purchased it. I put it in, and recently I was opening the door, and I looked up in the corner, and I realized that there's an icon in the corner that that says Smart Analysis, and it, there's a picture of a flip phone. And so this, even though I didn't know that it was connected to the internet, this refrigerator can be uh, serviced remotely. So this is what I'm saying is that even though we don't choose these, the Internet of Things, it's already in our lives. Interesting. Do you think we need to give permission? Do you think there should have been a, a sign-off, Gray, when you bought that that said, Mr. Scott, are you fully aware of the responsibilities of owning a smart refrigerator? And are you aware that you are going to be letting us know how often you open the door and how often the light burns out and how much milk and eggs you put in? And no, 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 that's not refined, unrefined coconut oil. We want you to change what you're eating. Are you ready for that, Gray? I think I'm ready for convenience. Uh, I, I hate shopping, so I, would, I, I want my refrigerator to do the shopping for me, and that's what the Internet of Things eventually will lead to. So when you're out of milk or when you're out of eggs, it will send an order through the Internet uh, to, let's say, Amazon or one of those services, and it will show up at your door without you having to do anything. I need to have a smart refrigerator. Although going to the store, which is only a block away, is one of the few excuses I have to leave the office. So maybe not, maybe not. Great. Welcome back. Lovely to have you. Thank you so much. Looking forward to more stories from you and more insights from our official 
futurist on the panel. You always are. I don't know anybody else who calls themselves a futurist. So we'll talk about that later. How do you get into that club? Thank you, Gray. And now let me bring on a gentleman who was on our one of our other radio shows just a week ago today. It's J.R. Fuller, who works on the IoT solutions in the Edgeline Moonshot Business Unit at HPE. That's HP Enterprises. J.R. this time has sent me a quote from Alan Turing. What a very tragic ending personally, but let's talk about what he was good at when he was alive. Alan Matheson Turing, lots of letters after his name, lived from 1912 to 54. 1954. He was a pioneering English computer scientist, mathematician, logician, crypt analyst, ooh, and theoretical biologist, highly influential in the development of theoretical computer science providing a formalization of the concepts of algorithm and computation with the Turing machine, T-U-R-I-N-G, which can be considered a model of a general-purpose computer. And interestingly, in the Second World War, he worked for the Government Code and Cipher School at Bletchley Park, Britain's code-breaking center, and I'll leave the rest of his history if you want to go look him up. Very, very sad. I think we've evolved as a society since then. Here's the quote J.R. picked. We can only see a short distance ahead, but we can see plenty there that needs to be done. J.R. Fuller, one week since we've spoken. Why so long have you been? I know. It's, it's, uh, it's a lifetime in some of these uh, situations. I've been fantastic. Thank you very much, Bonnie. I'm um, glad. I love the quote. Tell me, and it, it reminds me a little bit of the quote from Isaac Asimov that Grace Scott just gave us. So how did you pick this? And are you a follower of Alan Turing? Actually, yes. Um, I, I love the, I, I love the uh, Turing machine and the thinking machine and some of the artificial intelligence stuff that he uh, kind of pioneered uh, early days. And then... Um, uh, there was a movie that was out a couple of years ago that was really fantastic about uh, using these machines that he that he helped uh, develop to break um, to in World War II to break the code uh, for the, uh, the the Germans uh, cryptography stuff and so uh, leading directly to winning World War II so that was fantastic but there's so much there is so much going on in IoT and so much yet to do. Um, it's really an exciting uh, place to be. It certainly is. And, and what are your thoughts about the example Grace Scott just mentioned about the refrigerator he didn't know was smart and that's going to be communicating at least a, a possibly repair request, maybe not as groceries yet. Um, what do you think? Would you like one of those or do you already have one, JR? <laughs> no, I don't have one. Uh, I wouldn't mind one. I, I, I am with uh, Gray and the fact that the IoT needs to bring something, not just take things, right? So it can't just take our data and, you know, subject us to additional advertising, which is a, you know, one of the ways that it pays for itself in the consumer market. Uh, it has to provide something to us. It has to provide that convenience in, in business because, you know, as HPE, we focus more on the enterprise than, uh, versus the individual. Um, it really needs to bring that ROI, that return on investment. So that convenience of, hey, the refrigerator is going to die in three days, and so call back to the maintenance guy, order the part, and tell him to show up at my door, uh, you know, and send me a calendar invite so I know when he's coming. Uh, that would be fantastic because then my food doesn't go bad, and, and I'm not inconvenienced with a um, an unplanned emergency, right? I can plan my emergencies better, which we always try to do. Uh, so those types of convenience things, as long as they contribute to us, I think people will embrace IoT. I think it'll Interesting. become a problem if they, if they think that 
it's taking, 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 and not giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think and that'll be the issue. So. Interesting. Talking about the refrigerator example, Gray, we're never going to let this one go. And Ira Burke, I'll bring mm-hmm. you on into this in a second. But I'm thinking about Hurricane Sandy, which struck us so hard here on Long Island. Must have been three, maybe four years ago. And we were we had a full power outage. I mean, everything. Trees mm-hmm. down, power outage. Uh, Gray may remember this. He's in New York, I know. I was close by. And if we could have scheduled away... To know the brunt of the hurricane that was coming, to know that we would have no refrigerator power during that eight days, to be able to somehow plan to get rid of the food before it's spoiled, which might have been a benefit, right, rather than watching everything go, OMG, what am I going to do with that stinky roast that I paid so much money for that we'll never see the dinner table? Interesting, if we could, I, I think you said planning better for emergencies. You just said that, yeah, JR, which is... emergencies better, yeah. All, you know almost, we, we could have... Yeah. We've kind of done that with the supply chain for generators, right? I mean, there's a ah, right? So this there is a perfect go. example of how you could use this information. You could reschedule the manufacturer and distribution and relocation of generators to the East Coast four days ahead of time if you knew where, it, where exactly it was going to hit and what it was going to do and minimize some of that. So that's a perfect Egg. example. Thank you. Thank you for saving that one. And interestingly enough, when you say planning for emergencies, to me, that's almost an oxymoron, a plan or planning for or a planned emergency. It's like, no, if it's an emergency, we couldn't plan for it. But I like the idea that maybe IoT will change that paradigm. On that note, let me bring into the party Ira Burke, VP of Digital Transformation Solutions in SAP's HANA Global Center of Excellence. And here is a quote from Alan Kay. Alan Kay, born in 1940, he's still with us, is an American computer scientist. He has been elected a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, the National Academy of Engineering, the Royal Society of Arts, best known for pioneering work on object-oriented programming and windowing graphical user interface, that's GUI, G-U-I, design. After 10 years at Xerox PARC, he became Atari's chief scientist for three years. But here's the kicker. I don't know if, Ira, if you know this, and you're a pianist, Ira. Alan Kay is a former professional jazz guitarist, a composer, a theatrical designer, and an amateur classical pipe organist. And here's the quote, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Ira Burke, welcome. How are you? You know, I'm doing well, but when I'm hearing these stories about the refrigerator, um, all I can think of is hotel minibars. And and what happens when um, when you try to move something out of the way? And unfortunately, some of these refrigerators have gotten very smart. And of course, they, you, know, you pick up a soda can to make space and they bill you for the soda can. So, so because of the uh, connectivity of refrigerators, I've gotten very careful now every time I open a little refrigerator in a hotel room. Uh, and I'm thinking we've got to do better. Occupancy rate no longer means how many people are in the hotel room. It means where that soda can was sitting in the minibar, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so talk to me about this quote. Are you a big follower of Alan Kay? And did you know he was a jazz guitarist and plays the pipe organ? I, I, I didn't. I had the I had the pleasure to, to meet him once very briefly. And, and no, I had no wow. idea that he had that in his background as well. Um, but uh, but listen, I think we, we, do, we do need to be proactive, right? We've, we talked about the benefits and also the risks uh, of IoT. And as we're starting to just begin to understand the possibilities of putting pieces together to create a new reality. Um, I think we, we have to play a uh, proactive part in inventing the future that we want to see. Um, otherwise, we won't be able to open the fridge in a hotel room anymore. 
<laughs> which could be good news or could be bad news. Ira, who is exactly. who is going to invent this future? Is it you and Gray and Jr.? Is who who is inventing this future? Best way to predict well, and, 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 and you it. And you yeah. and the people listening to the show. So, so are um, we all part so, of this? So I, I think we are all part of it. Um, I think it's important to be aware of it. Like uh, like Gray was saying earlier, right? You uh, you're going to see it pop up where you don't expect it, and then you need to be a little bit you know, vocal about it, creative about it. How is it helping you? Uh, or if it's creating problems, how can those problems be overcome? Um, it's not something to take uh, passively, right? But to be engaged and to make it um, make it become something that's a force for good. Ira, could we say that IoT is a participatory wave, in that it is, in a way, crowdsourcing for ideas and for participation, or are we mostly going to be just following along and finding out what it's doing to us, going back to JR's point about IoT needs to give something back in exchange for everything that we're giving to it? What do you think? Is there a crowdsourcing element to, to the ideation, to the development of IoT? Everybody's well, part I think of it. it is. I think there is, and I think that if we um, if we can identify and uh, and make use of the benefits, if that's where we spend our money, make our own investments in in how we use things that are connected, then that'll be reflected in uh, in products and services that are that are available in the future. Um, and so I think we do have we do have to participate, and that's what will make it uh, that's what will make it a positive um, technology for everyone. Thank you very much, Ira Burke. Love this. And now let's go back to Gray Scott. Gray, you've done this so many times, you could almost run this segment. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking that's fun and interesting, or what are you drinking later that's better? Uh, It's just boring coffee this morning for me. Well, come on. We can do better than that. What was it? What would it have been if it wasn't boring coffee? What would you rather it be? Uh, um, You know, I was drinking coffee with coconut oil and... uh, Almond milk for a while. Yeah, how was that? that. It's was good. that? It's actually Go good for the brain to get some. Uh, the coconut oil uh, has great proteins. So, is that what they call bulletproof coffee? That has grass-fed butter in it. I know that recipe. Is that similar, Gray? It's yeah, it's similar. Um, that's a little bit more complex <laughs> for me in the morning. So uh, this morning, I, I, it's just a local coffee place. Okay, you want to give a shout out to the local coffee place? Uh, yeah, it's called Joe on uh, 23rd Street in New York City. Okay, shout out to Joe on 23rd New York City. By the way, what is the definition of a futurist, Greg? Because that's the first thing I see in your bio, futurist. What, what is it? There are lots of different kinds of futurists. The, the way that I sort of explain this to people is um, a futurist is anyone who gets people to think about the future. That's the, the, the most primary version of it. But it's just like when you say, you know, I'm a doctor, you have to define, you know, exactly what kind of doctor you are. I mean, there are futurists that work as innovation officers within corporations. Uh, there are futurists that are like Isaac, who were science fiction writers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I just looked it up. Futurists or futurologists, oh, that would be mm-hmm. harder to spell, are scientists and social scientists whose specialty is futurology or the attempt to systematically explore predictions and possibilities about the future and how they emerge from the present, whether that of human society in particular or life on Earth in general. Well, there we have it. We have a definition of futurist. Thank you very much. Gray Scott, keep drinking that coffee, and I'll get back to you in a few minutes. You're going to help me start the roundtable after our break. 
And let's turn to J.R. Fuller. J.R., what were you drinking last Thursday on the radio? And what are you drinking today? Same? Different? <laughs> last Thursday, we were having a flood, and I was drinking water, if you remember. And, <laughs> Not uh, from the flood. <laughs> we are back from the flood, thank God. And we have recovered fully, and uh, things are getting back to normal. So that's fantastic. Today, I am drinking water, but I have mixed with it a uh, cherry pomegranate uh, mix. Because I like the bold. If I'm going to do a flavor, I'm going bold or I'm not doing anything. So uh, I like that mix. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of a kicker in the morning. Um, I don't really do caffeine, and, and, uh, and you and I are very uh, similar. We have a lot of energy, so caffeine would drive everybody in my office crazy if I drink caffeine. <laughs> so I try to stay with just some bold flavors here. I like the idea of bold flavors. I have to do that to my water one of these days. Bold flavors. Time for bold flavor. Ira Burke knows me. Ira's going to help me figure out what bold flavor to put in. Ira Burke, where are you today? I know you've been running around a lot. Very, very busy these days. What are you drinking and where are you calling from? So I'm calling from home in Stamford, Connecticut today. And, uh, and, and what am I drinking? So, uh, you know, we're in the... Uh, Passover holiday now and then Passover. We're yes. really careful not to not only to eat you know eat no bread and eat not eat things that touch bread. And so uh, you know our, our, our practices right? we put everything away in the kitchen and we have a few things that we pull out just at this time of year, um, including my thirty year old Fortunoff coffee maker uh, that <laughs> only gets used for for these few days during the year. So uh, it's uh, I saw the price tag on it. We we picked it up at Roosevelt Field a very long time ago. I'm pretty sure yes. we can't return it, even though it doesn't really work very well anymore. No uh, kidding. But it's enough to get a cup of coffee out of it for today. So that's uh, wow. That's I remember Fortunoff, Ira. <laughs> I was a big fan of Fortunoff. I miss it dearly. It was the kind of store you could go in, hold tightly onto your credit card, and walk from department to department and say, "Ooh, I want that. Ooh, I want." I have so much jewelry from Fortunoff. So many people treated me to very memorable jewelry at Fortunoff. That's what I miss about it most. Is that Hey, Bonnie, come let me buy you a, a diamond necklace. That's what I miss about Fortuna. But I'm giving away too much personal information. I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool glass. Not looking too cool, but it's clear pink straw because I'm hoping the little bit of sunshine we're getting here on Long Island will last today. I don't know about that forecast. So you are listening to the Internet of Things with Game Changers. We're talking today about the third wave. I think we've already gotten into our topic, but we're going to define it with our three experts here on the show today. We have Gray Scott, we have J.R. Fuller, and Ira Burke. When we come back, we'll start the roundtable in earnest. My mother always says, who is earnest? Thank you, Mom. And uh, we're going to get each of our panelists, before we start talking about their topics they sent me before the show, their notes, I'm going to just go around the table and ask, what is the third wave in your definition? I know we have a lot of disparity here. could be very enlightening. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill, Justin. Out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. 
These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Indeed, and here we are talking about what else, the Internet of Things. We're already up to the third wave. I don't know what happened to waves one and two. I'm still waving at them and wondering what they even were. So let's find out. I'm going to speak first to our opening panelist, Grace Scott, our official futurist techno-philosopher and emerging tech expert and the CEO of SeriousWonder.com. Go visit it and learn more. Grace Scott, what is the third wave? I'll ask the same question to each panelist. Go ahead, Gray. Yeah, Bonnie, I think the the third wave, really, what's happening now is that uh, the IoT is becoming a digital dust that is uh, coating our daily lives. And I say that because just like the dust that collects in our, our reality, we it, it's it's ubiquitous. It, it is everywhere. Uh, it's seamless. It's effortless. And that's what's happening. So, for example, I, I mentioned earlier about the refrigerator a lot of the appliances, that, the new appliances that you're getting, whether it's a TV, whether it's a remote, uh, whether it's a, a space heater or a refrigerator, any of these devices, these consumer devices, most of them have some sort of smart uh, technology built into them. But one of, the, uh, one of the great technologies of our time that all of us use is the automobile. And when you think about getting into a car, what you really should think about now is that you're getting into a computer. I mean, you're driving, you're driving a mm-hmm. computer if you're driving a car these days. And we know that insurance companies are installing tracking devices. We know that stoplights are recording uh, with video. And all of that data gets crunched. And, and that is a part of the Internet of Everything, the Internet of Things. Um, another way to think about this, and this is what I find so interesting, is there are new technologies that are coming out now that are stretchable uh, electronics. So imagine uh, an electronic device that's inside of a shirt uh, or inside of a chair, things that, that actually can stretch and move. So it's not just a hard device anymore. What we're going to see in the near future is all of our clothing is going to be smart. Our shoes are going to be smart. So everything will be a computer in the near future. That is the third wave as I see it. Interesting. Uh, Gray, just let me ask you a question before I move on to J.R. Fuller at HPE. Mm-hmm. We have the option of buying that stretchable shirt with the sensors in it. You had the option of buying or not buying that smart refrigerator, which you 
we're surprised it was smart because it wasn't labeled or advertised that way. Well, oh, mm-hmm. here's a smart refrigerator for you, Gray. You open the fridge, there's a symbol. It's like, wow, I got a smart refrigerator. But we don't mm-hmm. have a lot of choices in a lot of this. Nobody says to the car dealer, give me the one without the onboard computer. <laughs> what? Give me the one mm-hmm. without the, the, the special radio. Give me the one without the Wi-Fi. Give me the one without the, the uh, mileage tracking that's going to tell me automatically when I need to schedule a belt replacement for my engine. So how much of this is uh, the word participatory? How much of this is going to be choice when you say IoT is becoming digital dust that is begging to code our daily lives? The question is, what if we don't want it, or is it past that point? Bonnie, I think we're, we're way past that point. Um, if, if you look at any of the commercial smartphone devices that you have now, you don't have a lot of choice on what kind of charger port that phone has, the company makes that decision for you. So when you get the new version of the phone, you have to also update your charging system. So these are the kinds of things that we're going to see in the future. We're, we're going to see smart devices that are embedded and that are just an upgrade that, you, that comes with the purchase. It's not something that you have much of a choice in. Uh, now, part of that, and the reason I find that interesting is that if the service that that provides, the IoT provides, makes my life more convenient, then I think the consumer will adopt to that uh, very easily. But if it's something where I open my refrigerator and it says, you know, there's an ad from Sears <laughs> and it plays before it allows me to get my <laughs> Apple out of my refrigerator, I'm going to have a problem <gasps> with that. So so I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, that That's bad business sense and marketing for them. It should just be seamless. It should be running in the background, and I think that's where we're headed. It, it will run in the background. It will be seamless, um, and I think that's the third wave. Thank you very much. Really good starting definition, J.R. Fuller at HPE. J.R., what is the third wave? I think you have a different POV, a different perspective. Tell me. I do, I do. I'd like to, you know, talk a little bit about what uh, what uh, Gray said, though, because you know the stretchable thing. I just read a uh, article on eSkin, where they're putting um, LEDs in this really thin, almost like a really super thin band aid that can put you can put on your body, and you can actually watch movies and. Uh, light up and, and do stuff. And so mm-hmm. it's even going beyond, you know, our shirts to our skin, right, at some point. And I'm sure the FAA will figure out how to power down your skin before you take off. But um, uh, my definition of the third wave, which is really centered around the IIoT, the industrial IoT, um, the consumers are leading and are, and are probably further down the, the path and, uh, you know, I believe that resistance is futile <laughs> in, the, in the consumer world. It really is. Um, in the industrial world, there is so much yet still to do. It is, um, I think I told you the example of one of the manufacturers I work with right now. They've got three million things out in the field that, that their customers are using, but only a thousand of them are considered to be smart with sensors and collecting data and able to tell what's going on with them. And so, they're, so they're, they're, they're kind of behind in this, and, and their customers haven't been demanding this, but they need to do this in order to stay relevant. So, uh, so for us, the third wave has a lot to do with where you put the computer resources in order to handle this onslaught of data that's just this, this data tsunami that's coming at us, and how do we attack it and break it down and make it more useful for us. Um, 
one of the examples that I give you was that CERN Collider, which produces 40 terabytes worth of data per second. So to put this into a context that everyone can understand, if we were going to turn all of that data into a Word document and we were going to print that Word document out, that one second worth of data that we collected, print it out in a Word document, it would take the average, uh, not even the average, the fast office printer, 247 years to print mm. that out. <laughs> so it's a tsunami just coming at us and, and, uh, and using compute resources and especially those things at the edge, which is, you know, where I focus um, to try to handle that and get, get control of that tsunami is where we see the third wave of uh, IoT happening right now. Thank you very much. Two very interesting perspectives. Uh, maybe there's a wave 3A and a wave 3B, or maybe one wave is waving at the other. I don't know. Maybe it's all part of the same, uh, I wouldn't say a tautology, circular read, but it's the same, maybe the same Mobius strip, if I hope I'm using that right. Ira Burke, you know about all this good stuff. What is the third wave to you, Ira Burke? What do you observe? Uh-huh. Well, so, so, so for me, it's about being a little bit less uh, siloed because it's true that we've had between uh, personal devices, industrial devices, uh, there are more and more sensors and more and more contexts gathering more and more information. Um, and so far, we, we pretty much look at those in their own world, right? So we use your personal information for maybe for, for health benefits. Uh, we use industrial information to make the industrial processes run a little bit more smoothly. Um, think about what happens when you start to mix and match these sources of information. You start to understand the data behind the world around you. And yes, there's a lot of data involved, like on the same scale that we're talking about with the, uh, the SuperCloud. There's a lot of data, but when you start to put it together, uh, imagine how much we start to know based on the information that's already being collected um, in, you know, in your house, in your car, in your environment, in the earth, in the ground, in the public transportation, in the smart cities, in the factories. Um, what questions can you ask that you wouldn't even imagine being able to ask before because you can start to synthesize the information that's coming from so many different sources? And, and to me, that's the, that's the third wave when these silos start to come together and create all new possibilities for things, uh, for questions we couldn't even imagine asking before. Interesting. Okay, so I hear imagination. I hear new things, new ways of thinking, opening up our minds. I'm going to go back to, I want you, each of you to react to what the other said. This is going to be a little bit of a different conversation than usual. I'm looking through your all of your notes that three of you sent me, and, and I think we've covered a lot of it already. So, Gray, thoughts on what J.R. Fuller added, what Ira Burke added, and I'll come up with some, some other topics here, but I would love to get some reactions on, is there one third wave? Gray? I don't. I don't think there is a singular third wave. I, I agree with what JR and Ira are saying, uh, but I think what we're what we're describing is a continuum. Um, this is sort of how I've been describing the future: is that the future is a continuum of everything that sort of gets placed into that um, that system. So, for example, and we sort of touched on this already. You know, when you think about traffic in urban areas and apps like Waze. Uh, and, you know, um, Google has apps for, for traffic and Apple has apps for traffic. These, this is a part of the Internet of Everything. It's a physical thing that, that can grab a hold of the data and rearrange our lives, literally rearrange our lives. So, you know, it can change the, the direction that you take your car in. I mean, think about how that changes our lives. So this is not some singular 
thing that, that, that's partitioned, I think what's happening is it's a continuum. All of these, um, as Ira was saying, this, this, to synthesize that data, that is a continuum, and that's going to just keep building on itself uh, as we move forward into the future. Thank you, Gray. You know, I'm going to jump into this before we get Jr. and Ira. I'm ch- I've changed my mind. <laughs> Women's prerogative. I'm looking at your notes from a show we did. You were on in January on our series, Future of the Future. And here's an interesting topic. I think I'm going to just interject this and get the panel to weigh in on this. You say, we can't have an all-seeing smart world and also have privacy. We will need to adjust our thinking. Let's talk about the privacy issue. We've already established that IoT is connecting us. There's data swirling around. Who owns it? Where does it go? Who does something with it? Who To whom do we give permission to have that data? Is it going to mm-hmm. add convenience? Do we Are we giving up something for that convenience? So let's talk about this all-seeing smart world and privacy. And I think this applies to to all of these interpretations of third wave. Gray, why don't you uh, just add something on this topic and then I'll get JR and Ira to chime in. Well, I do think we're in the post privacy stage at this point, unfortunately. And um, I don't think a lot of people want to admit that. Uh, I don't think that they realize that we're in a post privacy uh, world. Uh, but everything that can be hacked that is that has a camera in your house whether the light comes on on your computer or not, that camera can be hacked and people can be watching you. So, and we all know that anything you put online is public at this point. So we are living in a post-privacy, uh, post-privacy world. The question is, what do we do with that data? And I'm hoping that we rise to a higher state of, of humanity and, and not just use it for advertising purposes, but use it to make our lives more convenient. Interesting. Post-privacy world. JR, that's a loaded statement. You've got to have something to say. What do you think? <laughs> well, in, in, I, I completely agree. Um, to be honest with you, I, I think privacy uh, left us uh, five or six years ago um, for most of us, at least anybody who's on the grid. If you, if you own a, an electronic device, if you are on any kind of social media, you're just there. <laughs> you know, you're just there. Um, so, but there are there's some interesting evolutions, and, and society is struggling with some of these things. Um, and some of the, you know, some of the initial swings. It's a pendulum, so some of the initial swings can can be very draconian, which which can cut off innovation, right? Um, and some can be, you know, actually uh, very very well to to uh, foster that innovation and also to, um, you know address the uh, the concerns of the individual I think all of, I think we don't mind giving up um, some of our personal information again if it benefits us I would love to be able to sell it you know uh, ultimately I'd love to be able mm-hmm. to sell it uh, but you know since credit bureaus have been around we, they have owned our data they make decisions about us they they can determine how much we're going to pay for something over a period of time, whether or not we're even going to be able to purchase something or not. Um, so this has been around for a long time. This is not an IoT thing. What IoT does is it makes it harder or easier. So in the place where there's regulations where you can't send, say in Europe, there's countries that don't allow you to send personal information outside of the geographical boundaries of that, of mm. that country. We call it geofencing. Um, mm. You know, there's measures that that data doesn't leave. So it gets aggregated and and uh, massaged in a way that it can be transmitted out. 
but it also doesn't allow them to participate in some of the benefits of that data being available to them. So if we know that they're searching for something in particular or a particular type of um, device or service would be welcome uh, to them, maybe, maybe we, don't, we can't offer that to them because we don't know because that, that data has been massaged. So it, it's a pendulum and it kind of goes back and forth, but I absolutely agree we've lost a lot of privacy um, in our world. Thank you. I think we're all in agreement with that, but let's check before I make a global statement like that. Mr. Burke, Ira, have we lost? Are we, in fact, in a post-privacy world? Did that ship sail? Um, so, so I think maybe right now we are, but I'm not sure which way the pendulum is swinging because uh, on, on the one hand, we do have more and more information that's available with or without our control, especially uh, here in the U.S., uh, but then look at the different approaches that are taken around the world. Look how uh, stringent the requirements are in Europe for you know, how you need to give personal permission before your data can be used and a company who misuses your data, uh, your private data, can be heavily fined. Um, or look what happens in some countries that, uh, that don't have the same uh, freedom of access to information, how you know, information is filtered off the Internet before it ever shows up on the Internet in, uh, in some countries. So uh, I think we're seeing the pendulum swing in, in, in several directions. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, I think that's why it's important to be aware and engaged and be proactive in, in shaping how we want this to, uh, to look over time. Make sure the pendulum doesn't smack you upside the face. There we go. It Thank will. you, Ira. JR. I want to talk about something in your notes I found that's very interesting. You say the Internet of Things is confusing to many companies. Many think they need to be doing some projects, but they don't know where to start. And many of the operational tech people, that's OT, aren't talking to the IT people. What's happening? We're the three of us, four of us today. JR, taught you about IoT as though it's just uh, it's it's a... Uh, it's table stakes. It's there. It's it's the cornflakes in the closet. If you're still, it's the coffee in your cup. It's just something. It's in our world. It's not going anywhere. It has changed how we think, how we live, how we everything about us, how we communicate, how we give up our data to other people we don't even know. Why is it confusing to companies, Jr.? I, I think you know. I think things like uh, the IoT. Let, let's be honest. The IoT is a marketing term. It's a marketing term to describe something that's happening that makes it easier for people to digest. So um, as these companies are on, you know, various um, stages within this, you know, this continuum of where they are with the IoT, if you have, you know, some of the companies that are out there uh, in the consumer, you know, example, uh, Apple is a really great example, and Google and Facebook and those guys, everybody knows they're, they're kind of on the front of some of this IoT stuff. But when you go back into the enterprise, um, a lot of times you have the, the organization that's actually manufacturing the product or, um, you know, building the widget, that uh, they have built their processes and their things and, and they, they know how to, 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 to accomplish and execute their tasks. And then there's an IT organization, information technology organization, that's grown within these companies to deal with that. And those things don't really talk very well together. Um, the, I, the IT group... Um, is very structured. You know, there's uh, security requirements and there's, you know, approved purchasing lists and there's, you know, all of these things in order to execute an, an IT project. And the, the OT, uh, you know, team, they're, they're more interested in making sure the product gets built and, you know, refined and out and done. And they don't bring, uh, they bring different levels of processes, but not the, not the uh, information technology processes. So as those processes start to adopt 
um, information technology characteristics and the information technology team wants to manage that or, or wants to look at uh, managing it as an enterprise, those two worlds have to come together and work together, and they're not used to it. Um, and they have different rule sets, and they have different requirements, and so there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a little fighting that's going on between the two of them. Uh, and it's, it makes for a very interesting time. Um, it also makes for uh, companies that can add value to, to bridge that gap to be able to really uh, help enterprises achieve the, the benefits that we know are, are possible with IoT. Interesting. Ira Burke was talking about silos, I think, breaking them down. Ira, are you shocked and surprised and amazed and in awe that there are actually companies where OT is not talking to IT and IoT? Boy, we're doing alphabet soup here today. IoT is just <laughs> confound, confounding people. What do you think? What's your observation? So, so, so on, on, on a positive note, I'm always happy to see when they are talking to each other because that's when the um, that's when the really cool ideas start to uh, start to come forward. Um, and uh, and one of the things that that I've been noticing recently in uh, in speaking to different companies and to preparing workshops and discussions for different companies is how many opportunities we we do have to bring the stories together to take the same story from different angles to look at it from a finance from an operation from a manufacturing, from an IT perspective. Uh, and uh, and, it, and if, people, if people like us can start to do a little bit of the synthesis and start to show the benefits and how they, uh, how they apply to all the different um, functional areas, all the different lines of business within a company, um, I think we can start to stimulate a very positive and healthy cooperation across the business that may not have uh, come up naturally in the past. And uh, I think that's one of the really exciting things about the technology. You are Absolutely. such an optimist. I love the positive too there, Ira Burke. Gray Scott, love to get your POV on this before I cover something else from Ira's notes. Gray? Well, I think what we're experiencing and what uh, JR and Ira are describing is, is the conceptual segregation um, that you find with a lot of people uh, within the last 10 to 15 years, what, no matter what you're talking about, because I find this as a futurist, whether I'm talking about you know, the future of medicine or the future of transportation, people sort of segregate their concepts of the future, and I think that's where we're missing a lot of um, pattern recognition um, and opportunities, really. So I, th- I think it's important for people to get together uh, and start thinking of the future uh, as a continuum, as I said earlier. Um, just on a quick note, I want to say this too, that um, when we're talking about the individualized data from each individual person uh, in the IoT, so in, in other words, if, if the IoT is gathering information about your mother or your brother or your, or your children, um, that is where we are today, but I don't think that's where we're headed. I think we're headed into what I've been calling as the digital zebra effect, where the data becomes so big that the individual gets lost in the system. And so even though we are in a post-privacy era, now that digital zebra effect will help us sort of regain some of our um, anonymity in the future. Hmm. Very interesting. Thank you. I think we need a whole new show on that one, Gray. I appreciate that. 
digital zebra effect. I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to tweet that one. You look for it and you'll retweet it maybe and make sure I get it right. Ira Burke, I'm looking at your notes and you threw some really interesting scientific terms at me. We haven't incorporated them into the discussion yet, but I think uh, we have to honor you with that. You talk about Sarnoff's law, Metcalf's law, and what IoT brings to, to a new dimension. And then you've got Lambda and Kappa architecture going Greek on me. So Ira, you want to talk about Sarnoff's and Metcalf's law? Um, I, I do, and I think it's. I, I think looking at the IoT through the frame of what they uh, what they talked about is an interesting way to promote the idea of synthesizing uh, the possibilities from uh, from the Internet of Things. So, uh, so David Sarnoff, of course, the pioneer of broadcasting and founder of, of RCA and NBC, um, mm-hmm. said that the value of a broadcast network is based on the number of people who are viewing it, right? Which makes perfect sense to us. That you know, it's kind of the beginning of the business of advertising on a broadcast network, and and it's very clear to see that the you know, it's kind of this direct connection from the from one central point directly out to all the people who uh, who benefit. Uh, but then think about Metcalf's law. I mean, are we talking now about the development of the Ethernet, the Internet, and it's um, and the value of the network isn't just the number of people that are connected. It's not just a single point of broadcast, but it's all the different interconnections. You know, so so the value, the power of that network, the value of that network is based not on the number of people, but the square of the number of people, because that gives you a sense of how many different possible uh, connections there are, and it's probably even more than that. Um, and now, when we think about going beyond you know, this idea of a one-to-many broadcast or a many-to-many interconnection uh, and add the layer of the IoT, it's, it's almost like bringing a whole new dimension into the discussion, because it's not just the interconnection of the people or the devices that are, uh, that are communicating over the network, but it's everything that's happening around them, the environment that's happening, the telecommunications network that connects them, the environment that they're operating in, the world they're living in, right? Every dimension of that is now an information source that enriches the discussion. And so it's, you know, it's vastly richer than what was possible with just um, one person talking to many or with a bunch of people talking to each other. Ira, is this common knowledge or is this breaking news talking about this on, on radio today? Oh, I'm sure it's breaking news. <laughs> Gray Scott, we've, we've just expanded the future. It's now, whoops, it's gone. It's not the future anymore. Gray Scott, any thoughts on, on what I was talking about, this new dimension to the equations with Sarnoff's and Metcalf's Law and, and our, our points of intersection and connectivity? Any, anything you want to add to that? Well, it, it sort of goes back to what I was saying about the digital zebra effect. It's at, at a certain point, you're gathering so much uh, digital information that we have to decide as, as, as industry, we have to decide as a culture and as an individual what that means for each of us, right? What, what does it mean for a company to gather specific data? And I love the idea that broadcasting used to be about the, each individual eyeball on that broadcast. But now what we're finding is, and I, this is, uh, I love that Ira brought this up, is that it's not just that someone is watching, it is what are they doing with what they've watched? You know, are they tweeting while they're watching the show? Are they jumping online to see the extra content from you know, behind the scenes? I mean, these, this is that huge uh, big data that's coming now that now you can, through the use of IoT, you can get the show almost anywhere. 
Interesting. That is absolutely true. Uh, if, and then the question becomes, what is it? The, what is the content? And is it worth even watching? And is it worth getting it from almost anywhere? What you remember, we used to have a very dirty word for TV, the boob tube. I think it was a dirty word. And now the question is, are we getting content that's good enough to want to get it at any time, anywhere? J.R. Fuller, HPE Talk. What do you think? Well, so I've been thinking about this, and it's really interesting because, you know, technology often mimics and then enhances life, and then, you know, it's a, it's a circle, right? So if you think about our life, just our regular life, our life is a mashup, right? <laughs> we, we connect with people, we connect with machines, we take information from disparate sources, and we put them together, and we formulate ideas, and we, we do those things, and all of this is kind of encompassed in the IoT. It's really fascinating to me, and, it, you know, and it feeds itself back, right? So, um, we're talking about connecting a person to a to a thing and bringing in different data, you know, weather data and uh, humidity information and um, manufacturing information and you know the the crop output of some other country and we're putting this all together and we're coming up with oh we need to deliver this widget at this time to these people. Um, and it's really kind of interesting. And then, and then having that affects that person's life. So, so for me, it's very circular, and it's all interconnected. And um, one of the most exciting things I think about um, IoT is how it can ha- enhance that life, that mashup that we're, we're, all, we're all in um, and running super fast at. And uh, uh, it's fascinating. I love it. And, and I agree. And, and the dimensions and the interconnectivity and the more of those little pieces that you can bring together and mash up together, um, the, the, the more enhanced uh, experience and, and life you get. Thank you very much. Good. That's a good wrap up for us. And you know what? We're, oh, we're three and a half minutes from the end of the show and we have to talk about the future. And that's called the crystal ball predictions round. I know all three of you are very good at it. We've been talking about being grounded in where the IOT is now and what the third wave is. It's here. It's going. I didn't ask you when the fourth wave is, but that's going to be my question for our predictions round. So Grace Scott, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. When is the fourth wave coming and quickly, how will you define it? And is it something we're going to be happy about, Gray? I think the fourth wave is going to be defined by predictive big data. Uh, the Internet of Everything and the Internet of Things will uh, predict your desires um, and your needs, and those things will happen automatically. So right now when you're on social media, a lot of people listening have realized that uh, they're collecting data and they're showing you things that are relevant uh, whether you whether you realize it or not. And so in the real world, in the near future, the fourth wave is things will show up to your house that you need before you thought you need, needed them. Ah, I love it. I can't wait. I'm going to open the door right now. Oh, I have a doorman. I'll have to put him on notice here. Beware, John. I'm going to get a lot of packages I didn't ask for. You can keep them. Let's be surprised. J.R. Fuller, what's going to happen in the fourth wave? How far away is it? I think the fourth wave is really around the corner. A lot of it depends on how, how quickly we adopt the third wave, especially in our, in our enterprise stuff, which is that, that edge computing and, and providing compute at the right places. The fourth wave to me is everything as a service. So we no longer, we will, we will transition from a society that owns things to a society that consumes things, and that's all we do. And we're seeing this with Uberization, we're seeing this with Airbnb as some of those examples. Uh, we're going to see this as um, uh, jet, you know, jet service 
they pay for thrust instead of jet engines. They pay for flow instead of pumps. They pay for mm-hmm. you name it. So everything is a service, as I, I believe is what the fourth wave is, and it's, it's happening in some places even today. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Ira Burke. I saved you about 30 seconds, so save us all. What's going to happen in your version of the fourth wave of IoT, Ira? <laughs> well, I, I don't know, but I'm running to check the front door and make sure nothing is going up that I didn't. Now. <laughs> I think we all are. Gray, you started this rush to the front door. We're going to have to coin that, Gray. Gray, the future is rushed to the front door. Maybe you to return when they send it. <laughs> but uh, but, but, I, but I, I like the idea of services, especially what JR was uh, with was just saying, I think that the uh, the opportunity to um, to rethink uh, what we offer in the market, how we consume products and services, how we interact with the world is just going to get better, more powerful, easier over time, probably with some detours along the way. Uh, and I think it's going to be very exciting to see. Thank you very much. It is indeed very exciting. Thank you, the three of you. What an interesting conversation for me. I hope for our listeners, Gray Scott, always a pleasure. J.R. Fuller, ditto. Ira Burke, well, it's your series, and I know you're going to be back many, many times in the next coming 10 episodes over the next few months. And a shout-out to everybody who thinks you're a futurist. Stop worrying about yesterday. Stop worrying about today. Think forward. Think IoT. It's coming whether you like it or not. Shout-out to Justin at the Business Channel team, and thank you to everyone who tweeted. We had a rather lively tweet stream here at hashtag SAP Radio. Go take a look and see what fun we had on the show. I'm going to also post the link to the podcast, which will be up in about two hours. So thank you again to my three, I was going to say performers, my three future experts on IoT. Everybody have a great day. And here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. How many sensors are in your seatbelt? Is it going to tell you you shouldn't have had that piece of apple pie with vanilla ice cream and whipped cream last night? I sure hope not. I'm allergic to apples. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Game-changing week.